0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Game Masters Underdark, where three Game Masters get together to answer your questions about running tabletop RPGs. Uh, In continuation from last week's episode, where we pick one GM and they kind of show us their world-building process, we are going to go with Matt H. tonight. Uh, Matt, how are you doing?
1: doing great. Thanks for having (laughs) me.
0: (laughs) Of course. uh, As you guys, uh, regular watchers, may realize he's a little light on the facial here tonight, but... uh, you know, still mm-hmm. the same guy. And uh,
1: now I'm just go <laughs> team <at. laughs> Or is he?
0: Right? He's no longer bearded Matt. that. He's go Matt. Um, mm-hmm. So just a quick update before we get started. We are, uh, as a reminder, we are, of course, here on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And as of today, I didn't tell you guys this yet, Amazon Music.
1: We're on hey! Heck so,
0: yeah! Uh, any of your products that have Alexa and you want to you know, listen through that. Just ask for it and we'll show up. Um, so with all that kind of out of the way, Matt, uh, I'm going to kind of start this just like I did last week uh, with a simple question, which is, how do you like to start building your world? Um, now, I will, uh, to recap, to kind of give you how Matt said he starts, I'm going to bring my notes up here. Uh, he says, He looks at, uh, what can I make right now? What's the easiest thing I can just jot down notes for? And he said for him, he likes to start with one person, just a single individual and kind of build from there. What exactly is your process?
1: So my process is pretty much the exact opposite uh, when it comes to that. When it comes to world building, definitely the first thing I look at is the actual geography of the world that I'm going to be building? Am I going to be making a very sand and sandal sort of like Arabian Nights style world? Am is it a completely flooded world like water world, or is it a pretty one-to-one very earth-like just standard
0: world? Okay. Um, in, how has that made it easier for you to world build? Uh, you know, uh, Matt's backstory is, is always really big. You know, we've made no secret that on the show that the story in and of itself is the most important thing to him. Um, we, you know, you're a mechanics guy. So why yes. is building the world first important, probably the most important thing for you?
1: Because I feel like when it comes to geography, everything else sort of spider webs off of that because geography not only sort of gives you examples of if there's a mountain range somewhere that could be a natural border for two kingdoms, you know, one king set of kingdoms on the east side of the mountains, one on the west, so on so forth. Um, Island nations are a big thing. And when it comes to moving from global world scale, sort of going down a bit to kingdom level, um, geography informs the resources that the kingdom has. So if you if they're next to a mountain range, maybe that kingdom, is really rich in minerals and iron. So maybe because they're so rich in that they have a very industrial, maybe even warlike kingdom where they're always trying to expand. because the biggest thing, the biggest industry that they have is metalworking. And if it's in a traditional D and fantasy setting, you can make a lot of swords where on the flip side, if it's more of a coastal kingdom, maybe there's sort of like a cultural trading hub um, to where, you know, they do a lot of trade by boat surface, smaller scale. Maybe it's just a simple fishing village. You know, all that comes from geography.
0: Okay. So, and that makes total sense. And from there, obviously, um, to... Going kind of build off of Matt, like, then you could start importing, importing your characters. If it's a coastal town, you know, you're going to have fishermen, um, to, to stick with the stereotype for the sake of, uh, this, this exercise. If you're near mountains, you might have more dwarf-like characters. Um, Precise. so, okay. So that, that definitely makes sense. Now, um, I, I kind of brought that up because the one question I kind of did ask Matt last week, uh, about, Uh, monsters or just NPCs, PCs in general, was uh, because he does like to go uh, off lore, off script, uh, more so than you and I do, um, does the location matter as far as the characters, specifically NPCs that you create? So like, I know I just mentioned mountains, dwarves, but is, is that like a hard and fast rule for you or is it more of a guideline?
1: So when it comes to D&D lore, I sort of have two approaches to it to when I run games. Very seldomly do I run like rules as written by the books, this is the lore, because I'm one of those people where if this aspect is using the lore of D&D, then I also have to use that aspect that uses the lore of D&D. And there's a lot of lore in D&D because they've been making D&D for decades now, and the amount of lore can easily become overwhelming. So the way how I sort of get around that is saying D&D lore was true, but it's almost like history, where that is in the past. Everybody that is living now like maybe their ancestors were like that. Like they look at D history the same way that we look at like medieval history in our own timeline to where okay. people, cultural cultures, philosophies and ideas about things just given time have just naturally evolved over time. Uh, the other sort of way how I do it is the D D lore is true for that group of dwarves maybe, or this location of dwarves. Like, yeah, you know, dwarves, you know, very traditional, very family focused, like maybe in the bearded mountains, they're like that. But over here on, you know, the sun coast or whatever, the dwarves are completely different. They're very happy-go-lucky very found family don't really have any sort of clan orientation where if somebody wanted to play a dwarf and they're like i don't really like the dwarf lore or i don't really want to role play my dwarf like that but i don't want to feel alienated from my people i'm like okay that's just one group of people i mean look at humans there's so much variety in you know how we think how we act our cultural backgrounds what we look like I just sort of extend that naturally to all of the other races in d and d where you know a, a person in America is different from a person that's not from America and like yes, all the dwarven stereotypes could be true for a dwarf in this kingdom but not that kingdom so on and so forth.
0: Okay oh, yeah and I actually I think that's really cool. Um as oops my phone's oh something's going off here. Um as <laughs> <laughs> uh sorry about that. Yeah and I think with two of the all, all three of us our families have uh very closely to us immigrant backgrounds. Uh my grandmother being Japanese, your grandfather's Italian. Um mm-hmm. You know, I, so I know we all have, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm, you can't tell by looking at me that, well, maybe you could, I look like a sumo wrestler, that my grandmother is Japanese, you know, I mean, but like, if I look at you, I wouldn't necessarily think Italian because of who, may, you know, until you start talking with your hands, you know, we made that, that joke a little earlier, but some sometimes there are those things where you don't realize it until certain small things pop up um so i Correct. definitely see where you're going looking at it more as like a history than a hard and fast rule um mm-hmm. but i do know there's going to be these questions um with that rule with some of the races that are a little more rare uh like let's go with like aarakocra they have a very specific history and lore and when you look at the entirety of the D universe they're not super prevalent so with a race like that um would you be more likely to stick closer to their back like their traditional backstory or would you still kind of look at it more of, of, from like a history perspective because it's easy to do with dwarves humans and elves maybe not so much as like a rarer race
1: so when it comes to the rarer races normally i stick fairly close to traditional dnd lore assuming there's no problematic parts in it um <laughs> right. That being said, if a PC wants to play that particular race, then I'm just like, go Buck Wild. Explain to me how your group of people is, because very rarely am I not willing to change something lore wise uh, to accommodate players to make them feel more comfortable and more connected to the character that they're playing. Obviously, if they're trying to do it to squeak out some mechanical bonus, I'll nip that in the bud. But if they're like, oh, you know, I want my the halfling that I'm playing to be from like a barbaric tribe of halflings, you know, where they value strength and honor and all that stuff, then I'm just like, okay, that's not what the book says. Because, I mean, the books say they're just like really polite people that like to garden and sip tea in their little you know halfling homes and all that stuff but if somebody wants to play that cool maybe there is this sort of like roaming honorable barbaric tribe in the world and they just gave you a really great idea that you could incorporate into your story so
0: yeah and uh yeah actually that really sounds really fun and i might have to do that now um (laughs) yes but that that being said i'm glad you brought up story because this was another question that I had last week, which is, so um, you're kind of building your world, you know, you've got your your towns, your cities, your, we'll go, we'll even just keep it smaller, like a chunk of a continent, you know, wherever this is going to occur. How much of that, um, of your campaign, do you build before your session zero? And uh, I know like with Matt, Last week, his answer was more like, well, because I build on characters, um, you know, if the group wants to do like a, we'll use the published stuff, like a Waterdeep Dragon Heist, where it's more of a uh, detective kind of mystery, then that's super easy because you just reflavor the characters. Or if they want a dungeon crawl, okay, same thing. Maybe one of the NPCs was captured or something, and you've got to rescue them from that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you're building, you're essentially building the world first. At what, at what point do you get to that process of, okay, what are potentially some dungeons, quests, characters, things like that, that will start to really shape the day-to-day of your, of your world? So
1: I, and I know this is going to sound like blasphemy to some people, but I create a world that it's on its own timeline. NPCs have their own goals and motivations completely outside of the PCs. I create very much so a sandbox where if you guys do something, it's going to help move things along. Or if you don't do something, things are still going to move along in that area. So, Even if you choose not to interact with something, you've still made a choice on how that thing is going to go. To where a a good example of this is, uh, there's a kingdom, they're in a civil war. The PCs go and visit it, they want nothing to do with that civil war, and then they go on to the next town. I'm not just going to not go back to that kingdom ever again. Your PCs didn't help, but there's going to be a winner to that civil war. And if the side of that one knew about the PCs and knew that they didn't help, that might have repercussions. That being said, I also tried to incorporate as much as the uh, PC's backstory and own personal quests... Into the world, so I try to bake that in as much into the world as I possibly can. The reason why I sort of set up the world the way how I set it up that is completely independent of the PCs to start with is because you guys are very good at this. You guys give me PC backgrounds and personal motivations and goals and all that stuff. But I've played with groups where they've been great players, but Until I throw a hook out at them, their character is basically just doing the idle animation in a video game where they're not a self starter. They want to be told what their goal is. And even when I DM, I'm never going to tell a group, like, this is the story, this is what you have to do anywhere. But things are still going to happen in my world, whether or not you interact with them or not. So okay. that's sort of my approach to it.
0: No, and that's great. And um, we, I did this last week as well. I keep bringing that up, but uh, just for those who maybe haven't watched, now they want to know <laughs> kind of the format. We're about halfway through. Um, and one thing I noticed that is definitely different between the two of you um, one of the many things in this case, is by this point last week, uh, me and Matt were able to be like, oh, so here's one or two characters and here's a quest you guys can go on based on how he's building his world. Um, so with your approach, it seems more like whether we give you that information or not, like you're gonna have these quests, it's just more or less like a, not a necessity. But just okay, do it or don't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. vices, uh, not in a bad way, but in Matt's Art Halden game, um, uh, I guess he would now be kind of bearded, Matt. (laughs) We'd have to, yeah, whoa. Um, you know, he there's one quest and we keep messing with him about it, where he's like, you know, there's this necklace you guys should really go get, and we're all like, no, we're not. And he's not, and and he's not forcing us, but he is definitely reminding us of like, it is an important thing. Um, And so what you're saying is, is you probably bring it up once, maybe twice. And if we were just like, no, you're going to be like, all right, well, hopefully somebody wrote that note down because uh, I'm not bringing it up again. Is that, I mean, I know that's kind of hyperbole, but is that kind of your process with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh,
1: It. If I give you any information at any point in time in my campaigns, it's never throw away information.
0: Oh, no. It's, it's always
1: not. going to be important, and something is always going to be happening with that information. If I give you some information saying, like, hey, there's a giant that's ransacking the fields, like, one kingdom over, like, if you immediately go over there and figure out what the giant is doing and figure out a way how to deal with the problem either with violence or diplomacy, you know, that problem, that kingdom's probably not going to be affected too much. Now, if you wait like five levels and then decide, Hey, you know, like we, we heard about this giant thing like six months ago, we might want to go check in on that. Well, maybe this giant has set up shop and move a couple of his family members over. Maybe maybe, you know he's tanking this kingdom's economy because he's eating all their livestock and they're a farming kingdom like there's so many things that go into quest making and world building that you know you just you got to think if this thing means this it could lead to this and if that leads to that it could lead to this
0: so, yeah no no abs- absolutely absolutely <laughs> Chess
1: player brain coming out sorry um,
0: no no that's that's kind of you know that's that's why we're here to kind of put all this put all this information out there um mm-hmm. now speaking of quests and i know i kind of brought it up uh, that is an important part of world world building whether you, you like it or not you know it's something you, you kind of have to do uh but to bring it back specifically to plot hooks that was not something that um we really got to last week because um as we said, that's not the first thing on, on that uh, list of things to do. So would you say that creating an interesting plot hook would maybe be, you know, if, if creating your world's one plot hook is two, or is there something else that maybe you would do even before worrying about the plot hook?
1: So when it comes to plot hooks, I've noticed that the way how I approach things, plot hooks, and world building sort of go hand in hand, at least in my brain, the way how I think things. Because if I create a kingdom, and I'm like just bullet pointing some facts about this kingdom, I'm, I'm like, okay, this kingdom is known for, you know, selling a certain type of like magical dust that's an arcane component to spells or something like that. And I'm like, okay, you know, what's another interesting fact about this kingdom? Oh, maybe this kingdom, there's a Thieves Guild there. And maybe do some other two points. And then I sort of look at the two points and I go, hey, it would be really cool if that Thieves Guild was stealing this magic dust. So just with the bullet points, the in, just information that I've made about this kingdom to help me remember stuff. I can easily hook those two things together because maybe this is a group of, like, secret underground black market, you know, arcane tricksters that are stealing this magic dust and selling it to the highest bidder. You know, and an easy plot hook is either the PCs hearing about this from a guard and if it's a traditionally good party saying, like, hey, stealing stuff is bad, you know, we got to go stop these people. Or if you have a relatively unscrupulous magic user in the group, maybe they're like, hey, maybe I want to meet up with these guys so I can get some magic dust on the cheap." And now you've got to figure out how to contact this group and win over their loyalty. Maybe they give you a test to prove that you're not a narc or something. So I feel like if you just have information about the world and the kingdoms and empires and, you know, interesting magical sites or weapons of legend in your world that was lost to time but there's it's probably at the bottom of the lake and the on the highest mountain but the deepest part of the lake on the mountain just stuff like that i feel like plot hooks flow naturally because just learning the information about your world if your pcs are engaged with it they will make something that is purely information to you a plot hook for them because they want it. They want to know more about the world you made and they want to go on a quest to know more about that thing that you just jotted down as information for yourself.
0: Okay, yeah, that's... And, and i can definitely see that that aspect um i'll you know be honest that might not necessarily be something i would look at um but i've also never thought about it like that's that's as a as the the new you know gm here there's a lot of things like with building my current world that i'm in and, and i showed you guys the other night i was excited like over a map but as a new gm i feel like that's a big step and like i've got names of towns i've got I, you know, I kind of gave you guys a little backstory on the big bad, which uh, will be my next question, actually. But those are things that um, some of those things that I implemented after talking with Matt last week where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, let's let's work on some of that. And I think having um, an idea of what the towns are about, I guess, more or less to kind of mm-hmm. quickly summarize that definitely will help with that. Um, so we are running a little on time. So there is one more question um that I did have. Um, and the one one aspect of uh what we did last week was Matt was like sometimes starting with your big bad is a great way to build a world. Um and I I had not done that. I was worried about other things. I had ideas on the location I wanted to kind of mimic from real life and um things like that, but how how far into your process do you go before you either start to create or settle depending on, you know, what kind of campaign it is on your big bat? Because so is uh, that gonna be depend? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is that going to be dependent upon the world you were building or do you go into it with like, okay, I have like a couple of ideas rattling around. We'll just see where this leads me.
1: So, I would probably definitely say, at least for me personally, I do world building first, like the actual geography, then empires, political systems, and stuff like that. And then think about the types of people that would either be pushing against those systems, and if they're good systems, they could easily be a big bad, or if they're bad systems... Who would be leading those systems? Because I mean, you you can't have anything without the geography. That's just how I think about it. I don't think of things in, you know, open space or blank canvases or anything like that. There has to be some sort of ground for the kingdoms to be on for the people to step on. Because, like I said many times in this video, geography is important, especially in, in a DD campaign. But um, when it comes to creating big bads, once again, it for me, the way how I think, that sort of just falls in line when it comes to world building naturally uh, because I never want to pigeonhole any of the characters into being like, oh, okay, this is obviously the bad guy. This is what we have to do. Where there could be... A lich in a kingdom that is running a uh, necropolis you know he's just it's an entire nation of undead well if you're running a two-person group one of them's a death domain cleric and the other one's a necromancer wizard they might want to try to work for that guy so setting him up to be your big bad might not be a great thing so i I try to have, for every big bad I think the group will want to go against, I try to make a mirror, an, an, an antithesis to that character, where there's somebody the exact opposite of that character, and they're actively working against each other. So it's sort of like the PCs deciding who they want to aid in that fight.
0: okay yeah and and i okay
1: whether if that's people or just forces of nature even so you don't have to limit your big bad evil guy to actually being a big bad evil guy it could just be some catastrophic event in an area that they're trying to stop it doesn't have to be a person
0: you know no definitely and and i think that that's um i think that thought process of as far as like an I don't want to say natural disaster because it's almost impossible to stop those, but maybe like uh, some kind of prophecy or something like that. I, I definitely think what you're saying where the geography comes in handy, where if they're talking about, you can't have a prophecy about a blizzard in the middle of the desert or not that you couldn't, but that, it's going to be
1: bad for that desert.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that's going to ruin those people's ways of life. They've gotten used to living like, like nomads in the desert and moving, most most likely anyways. It's the kind of the trope with that. But a blizzard would ruin them. <laughs> They're not prepared for that. Um, so I, I definitely like the idea of the geography. it It's, um, I'm not going to lie, not what I thought your answer would be. Uh, Matt, I know you've been muted this whole time. Uh, I, what do you think? I definitely thought we were going to go more mechanics per se, like in-depth mechanics, not necessarily... World, um, you know, as so I thought you were going to be like, oh, I wanted to do like a chase or, uh, you know, things like that because you do them so well. I did not, I did not see geography coming. And what do you? Go ahead, man. I think you covered more. I was. Focused on like creating something in the now, like a live. <laughs> here we go. But you like you really uh broke down like the intricacies of what it what world building is and broke them down into like a 30-minute little uh little digest. I like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Where yeah. when when it comes to actual mechanics, mechanics in my mind has always been an abstract way to represent actions being done where something is actively happening you use mechanics to reflect that when it's happening unless you're using random tables when it actually comes to world building the actual building of it part i actually don't use that many mechanics i mainly use geography so yeah i know it's sort of weird sorry
0: no no don't apologize like that's why you know I, if I put money on this, if I was a betting man, I would have lost. Um, but that's <laughs> that's a good thing. I, I know um, when I gave you guys kind of some of the backs of mine, mind, I'm like, Oh, it's like a coastal area. Your family's ended up here because of a shipwreck, um, which is really apropos for the area that I'm uh, kind of mimicking because uh, it is uh, a graveyard of ships. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's kind of what they're known for. So, um, I, I, I definitely, uh, I, man, now I gotta go back and rethink a lot of what I've been doing. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. And like I said, it's not something I would have, I would have thought. Um, but I hope this does help. I know it's helped me. Like I said, I've already got some ideas now and, um, whoever else listens and, and watches, you know, hopefully this will spark some inspiration for you. Um, and if worse comes to worse, we've said it a couple of episodes in a row, but I'll reiterate it. If you're not sure about geography, not my best subject, find a country, city, state, just continent in general that, you know, I like, you know, me, I'll tell you guys, I use like the Outer Banks of North Carolina because that's where I'm from originally. And there's a lot of shipwrecks there from pirates. Well, guess what? You know, I, if you reconfigure some of the stuff a certain way, I made my map look almost vaguely like a moon a full moon which fits with the lycanthropy theme i'm not good at geography i googled it (laughs)
1: Um, Yes, google is your friend
0: so if you're not sure um always use that real world inspiration because it it will save you a lot of a lot of uh headache and trouble and trying to think it up yourself um it, it gives you somewhere to start so uh Yeah, did you have, before we we sign off, did you have anything else that you you wanted to add or uh, wanted to get to?
1: I think the only thing I have to add, speaking directly to the players, where if the way how you build your world is not like mine or not like Matt's, there's no wrong way to build a world. It's whatever works for you. I mean, don't try to, copy us beat for beat in our line of thinking if you can create a world that's fun for you to run and fun for your pcs to play in congratulations you've succeeded you've won dnd <laughs> so just whatever works for you maybe grab some tips from myself maybe grab some tips for matt mix and match to your heart's content but if it works, even if it's completely different in every single aspect, if it works, it works. You do you.
0: Definitely. That definitely. And uh, I, you know, like I said, hopefully uh, you guys will, this will, like I said, spark some, uh, some ideas for people like it has for me. Um, next week we will kind of finish out this short series with one or both of these guys asking me these questions. So um stay tuned for that next week um as always if you enjoyed the video please you know like comment subscribe um you can find us in all of our different uh platforms just for the audio version uh from the banner on our homepage, page uh, we'd also have our patreon up and running uh a little bit as well and um keep an eye out we're, we're getting the social media stuff set up and uh hopefully have that running here in a little bit so we we look forward to uh interacting with you guys there on, uh, on different social networks. So, uh, for myself and, uh, the mats, we like, like I said, hope you guys, uh, enjoyed the video and happy gaming. See you guys next week. Bye guys.